Hello and welcome to another Tap Talks HR podcast. Today I'm delighted to be speaking with Caroline Lindner, Senior Manager of Global Communications and Engagement at Norton Rose Fulbright. Hi Caroline, welcome to the podcast. Hi Anthony, thank you for having me. No worries at all. So Caroline, today we're talking about mental health and the current focus on it uh, during this COVID-19 crisis that we're in the middle of at the moment. And if you're two years down the line and listening back to this and laughing hysterically about how crazy it was in 2020, then thank you. Um, What have you been noticing um, recently about mental health? Well, I think that the main thing I've noticed is that everybody is talking about it now. Um, because everybody's in, in a similar situation. We've had um, all of our routines disrupted. Um, many of us are working remotely and not seeing our colleagues face-to-face um, physically anymore. Um, and I think in terms of the conversation about mental health, which always in the workplace had a, a lot of stigma attached to it, um, it's normalised it in a way that I don't think anything else could have done. Um, And people who I've been working with for years um, are being very open about how they're feeling. People are checking in with each other more. There's definitely um, an increase in acts of kindness, which is is welcomed. Um, But it's because we're all in the same situation. And that's just never happened before. And people who have lived experience in mental health will be having their own challenges with what's happening. Um, and they, perhaps their usual support networks that they use may not be there anymore or might be being delivered differently. Um, but there'll be other people who have been very fortunate before and never dealt with anxiety or depression, stress, um, and they probably are experiencing that at the moment. So it, it, it's, we're all in the same boat, I guess is what I'm saying, and that um, has never happened before. Yeah, because it's interesting, isn't it? Because it doesn't matter if you're the CEO of a FTSE 100 or you happen to be an admin assistant working part-time in the corner of the the open plan office. Now you're all working on this same constant video platform with each other kind of thing. And it is a very, it's the great leveller, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, for the first time you're seeing, sometimes the first time you're seeing people's, uh, what their houses look like, um, (laughs) what you wear when you don't go into the office. Um, and you know you how you interact with people has has changed definitely i've never been on so many virtual meetings um over video as i have been in the last few months and that's really interesting isn't it because um when i'm thinking about um people working with their family around them uh i I know in the research i recently did in my master's there was a bit around border theory where actually people's natural states natural personalities mean some people like a really defined border between work and non-work other people are quite happy to be taking calls in their personal time and everything and likewise taking a bit of themselves to work and putting it on their desk around them so so that must really impact on mental health as well in this confined spaces of homes i I definitely think that that that's the case um you know we we've been used to being able to travel not really think about when we want to go and do things and that's been completely stripped out of our lives now um and to the extent that some people will be very scared about traveling and that again is something that employers need to um acknowledge some people will be very worried about physically traveling into going back to the office um and 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 so you you think about how people's mental health is going to be when things do turn return to whatever the new normal is going to be some people will have mental health issues that they never had before 
some people will, will, will be glad to get back to the office. Some people will be very, very worried about the health, public health. And it, when you're at home, you can control your environment. You can control to a certain extent how you're feeling. You can go out for a walk or a run or whatever it is that helps you to, to feel better. If you're having a particularly bad day, you could pick up the phone. What you can't do when you start going out and about is controlling how other people behave. So there is that fear factor as well, I think. Um, and people want to be able to go to work and feel safe. Yeah. Um, feeling safe is, is, is the most important thing at the moment. And I don't think that's going to go away. So employers have got um, a really difficult task on their hands, I think, to, to, to get people back into um, a physical working location. Yeah, and it's interesting. You say you say the word safe, and, and traditionally safe has been about physical mm. safety. But it's um, what I have seen, uh, and I've visited a couple of um, workplaces that actually have prepared for people to return back. Is if you go really, if you do the the kind of signage really well, then actually people feel mentally safe as well yeah. as physically safe. If if there's if there's a lack of information, people are thinking, well, everyone's doing what they want to do. And I've seen London buses uh, in the last week who've got massive signs on their entry doors now, saying in big letters, twenty people only on this bus, kind of thing. So people have an expectation now when they walk on the bus what they're going to get to kind of avoid that anxiety. Mm. So I think you're right. I think. Uh, as much as I did want to say this phrase in, in, in the podcast, that the, the new normal, he said mm. in inverted commas, part of that's got to be flexibility around Agreed. work. Because I think to keep mental health uh, in a good place, some people, as you said, this individuality thing, some people will be fine going back. Some people will prefer the, the, the security of being at home for a longer period. And the worst thing that organizations can do is, is start applying pressure Yes, where, and not realizing there's individuality at stake mm. here. I think that's right, and and certainly the organisation I work for, our managing partners done an excellent job at making it very clear that no one will be forced to come back into the office if they're feeling anxious, if there are other issues that the firm needs to know about. So that dialogue and encouraging that open and transparent communication, um, it, is is critical to how people feel when they're sitting at home attending a virtual meeting. Uh, which has been put on by leaders, the leaders that they work for. Um, they need to know that they're thinking about not just the business, which of course is very important, but um, how you're going to look after your employees. And that, that has changed. And I would say, uh, as you know, Anton, I've got a background in recruitment. And when I think back to be reflecting on how I would be selling an organisation at the moment, um, if I was recruiting for, um, for the firm, and it, it is different. You, you have to change probably what your priorities are in terms of your key selling messages uh, of course you, the quality of the work would be up there but how you look after your people and their well-being will be very different to saying um we give you a subsidized gym membership that it's just totally different now that people will want to know in my view um do you have mental health first aiders do, what, what are you doing to look after your people from well-being perspective, are you running a regular series of webinars where you hear from experts? So we, we did that during Mental Health Awareness Week and we actually um, focused on, uh, on, on being safe. So safe standing for sleep, alcohol, food and exercise. So very practical, what can you do every day to check in with yourself to make sure you're being safe, that you are safe? And we had a number of experts coming in, uh, obviously virtually, to talk about those topics and um, the one on sleep was fascinating we had an expert a doctor who specializes in 
in in sleep and it was very very interesting and not surprisingly we had lots of people attending these webinars so there's an expectation the firm has always done them people can consume it much more easily actually not physically having to leave their desk and go somewhere at lunchtime to sit in a room and, and listen to someone and I'm sure we will get back to that place but but there is so much good information out there that we can be sharing with our with with employees um you know, the charities of Samaritans, Mind, they've put some fantastic content out there. But it's up to organisations to communicate that those resources are there. And let's face it, we all know that people never know where what the number is for their EAP. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> the, the worst communicated thing at every organisation I've ever worked at. Um, you know, people won't mind you putting this in their faces at the moment. They will appreciate it. So uh, I think HR teams in particular have a real opportunity to shine here to show what they're offering to people but what they're doing differently um, and I was reading some research that's just come out uh, last month about how organizations um, are investing in mental health and well-being and interestingly they're not putting more money into EAP services or uh, therapists to come into the office or, or to support people remotely they're actually putting money into training training line managers and then training people to recognize the signs, to make sure that you, know, you don't have to be a mental health first aider, but you do need to know how to um, support people with their mental health. And if this situation has brought that to the fore, then I welcome it. I'd much rather there hasn't been a pandemic, but it's something that you know organizations really probably have been talking about for a long time, training people how to support their staff um, if they, are suffering or watch looking out for the signs and uh, I wasn't surprised to read that in that research I was very pleased to read it um, I welcome it you know it, it's I don't think it's going to go away and helping people to be uh, be aware of their resilience levels which is obviously important when you're working how resilient is the organization but the organization is only as good as its people quite often so you have to change the skill set you're looking for and what you need to develop your people with so uh, i know resilience is close to your heart as well but <laughs> i would be amazed if um organizations aren't looking at this seriously and thinking how on a, how what else can we be doing um when we're supporting people with learning and development programs and and bringing the concept of resilience which i think is a more palatable term than mental health i think mental health has a lot of stigma around it even though it is what it is but to say we're going to help you to be more resilient, to be able to cope better, that will be welcomed by people. Yeah, and I think you're right. That word resilience does does go down because it sounds a bit more uh, something you can apply into yes. your business and see a more causal line of sight between something you do and results, which is actually what usually gets the budget for these kind of things. Mm. Uh, but it's, it's reminding me about uh, one of the aspects of well-being that, that, that I, I learned recently around primary, secondary and tertiary interventions and how the flavor of the month for mental health in the last couple of years has been, have you got mental health? first aiders and yeah. it's uh, whoever's delivering these courses must be rubbing their hands with glee at the moment so <laughs> there's a queue of people coming <laughs> but but mental health first aiders are essentially a tertiary intervention it's, it's like that's what you have when things go wrong just like your eap program really yes. you phone the number when you can't cope whereas the secondary interventions is very much around the learning and development of the people in the organization to help spot 
things mm. and help help understand what is it that causes these issues in the first place. But then you go back to the primary bit, which is actually setting up your organisation. So you should never get mental health issues in the first place and mm. it sounds like from the report that you're you've just talked about that actually we're moving now okay we've set up disaster recovery tertiary stuff but actually we're moving into what can we do proactively to minimize mental health issues inside of the workplace and i think that's what flips over into resilience because resilience is all about how do you proactively have a resilient workforce how do you build the capacity and how do you get people having that that kind of active process of being resilient when something traumatic is actually going on in your organization mm. so it's, it's interesting so mental health and, and resilience are kind of overlapping there a little bit aren't they yes and, I, and i've always i've always felt very strongly about mental health first aid is that they are a brilliant resource but at the moment those very people who are trained to there be there to support and signpost other people they themselves will have their own mental health which is maybe good maybe bad so don't put pressure on your mental health first aiders. It's, it's a bigger thing to grapple with than just have people who are also holding down a, a part-time job or they may have been furloughed. Um, it, it's looking at it holistically. Um, and actually the point on being furloughed, which I know obviously lots of people in the country have, have been furloughed and I've got members of my family who have been, um, that in itself coming back into the workplace um, physically or virtually when you've had a period of time off work it's hard at the best of times. Um, and I just, you know, I just put this question out there, whether organisations are thinking about the mental health of those people who were furloughed as to how they're going to reintegrate them into the organisation. Because they won't, if they've had five or six weeks off, they won't be going back at full pace. And, and there shouldn't be an expectation that they do. So maybe there's something more practical that organisations can do to make sure they're feeling they are engaged. But there is a, a recognition that, they've actually had a period of time off work, which is through no fault of their own. So I think that integration point is really important as well um, and, and not to be overlooked. And that's really interesting. So I'm thinking back to my generalist HR days all those years ago and, and things like uh, long-term sickness, absence and, and the return to work programs. For one individual, you used to really do whatever you could yeah. to slowly bring them back into work. And there, whether you've been furloughed or not, because some people who are supposedly working from home, but they haven't got the work because actually most of that work needs to face-to-face interaction. That mm -hmm. That sudden... Again, it's change, isn't it? Because that yes. sudden, oh my God, I'm back in work, creates its own anxiety. And, and mm -hmm. so it's almost like the entire organisation needs to return mm -hmm. to work programme kind of thing, yes. set on a very individual basis. Yeah, like you would do if, you, if you've had a child or adopted um, you know, a child, you, you, you give people a, a return to work plan, don't you? Um, mm -hmm. And keep it in touch days, those sorts of things. Um, obviously, furlough is a bit more complicated because it's a government scheme, but... Um, it's just something I hope isn't going to get missed um, when people are considering what to do to reintegrate everybody. And the one thing I've seen, I've been reading around a lot on this topic, um, as you know, and what I would say is I've noticed open communications from leaders and being is incredibly important. So if people, if uh, right at the top are acknowledging that this is a really tough period for everybody, it goes a long way to helping the person who works for them feel a bit better about it. It's not just me being affected. Um, he or she's been affected and they've also got the stress of running the business as well. So I think, you know, we were running around so much previously, traveling all over the place, um, so consumed with 
pace of life that one thing this has done is helped people to take stock how do I want to communicate with my staff how do I want to um, position myself as a leader how what do people need from me so I know there's lots of organizations doing surveys with their um, with their, their employees to make sure that they're asking them what they're concerned about um, it, how long is their commute I'm sure we did a survey internally and I'm sure the leadership now know exactly how many people actually travel over an hour to get into work every day um, so they've learned a lot about their people but again with communication once you've opened that door of transparent regular communication people are going to expect you to continue with that so again it's not communicating in a, in a crisis it's, it's how people want to consume information um, so I think that's again that's something that people in leadership positions should should be considering that this is the normal for the people now it never was before people want to see their leaders being transparent and engaging with their people asking what do you need from us so to go back to support around mental health um, don't assume what your people need ask them um, because only they can give you the guidance actually as to what you should or shouldn't be putting your budget in into um or obviously some organizations will be having to cut budget so what's the most important thing engaging your staff and having them having that meaningful conversation i think goes an awfully long way and one of the things that we have got set up at norton rose fulbright is an employee um, network for mental health it's called breathe and i probably the I'm very proud of, I was one of the co-founders of Breed, or I am one of the co-founders of Breed. We set it up in 2018, um, and we uh, we have, the, the network continues to thrive, which is fantastic, and it's playing a really important role for the firm at the moment. We're sending out communications regularly, sharing lots of information, and, you know, normalizing um, mental health, good or bad, in a way that we couldn't do that before. Um, but again, that, that there's an expectation now that the Breed is taking the temperature of its people and feeding that back to management um, and that's the point of having a network right that that's you, you only know what people want and feel if you actually give them a voice and uh, an employee network um, is one way of doing it and we have a number of them at the firm but um, very proud of the mental health one because it, it's playing a, a really important role at the moment in connecting people and people coming to committee me members and you know speaking very candidly about what's good about the organization, what's bad about the organization, what they'd like to see more or less of. And the responsibility then of the network is to feed that up the chain. So there's a, if people ever worry about setting up networks, I'd, I'd challenge them on that because if you've got an open leadership style, which many organizations have, they can learn a lot from their people by giving them a little bit of a voice. And I think that's great. And I know what you've done with Breathe, uh, Norton Rose Fulbright, is, is amazing. Uh, uh, we've spoken about this before on a one-to-one. On -one. And it's almost like up until the start of this, um, talking about coping was by exception. And it's almost like in the last few months, I felt talking about coping is becoming the norm. Yes. As in, and, and we were both talking before we came on, on here about over recent weeks, we've both encountered situations where people who would normally be talking about struggling mm. uh, have actually just opened up. And, and, and it goes back to your point about breathe, isn't it? It's, it's mm. about communication, isn't it? If more people talk about it, it becomes a norm. Therefore, it will, you'll feel more accepted within 
the environment that you're in. Yeah. Um, and, and so if one thing that comes out from, from the COVID-19 situation is the fact that we're a little bit, I don't know, shall we say a little bit less British and we're going to talk about our feelings a little bit <laughs> yeah, more, indeed. then isn't that wonderful? Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, time's getting on as it always does in my podcast and, and our listeners must get fed up with me saying that every single, at the end of every single podcast and say, Anthony, do some time management. <laughs> um, but if you wanted, thinking about what we're talking about today and mental health and, and how the conversation hopefully is changing going forward, if you wanted to, to leave one thought or one idea with the listeners who are listening into this podcast, what, what would that be, Caroline? It's a good question and a hard question because there's so much I could say. <laughs> okay, you can uh, have two. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I, for me, and I would say this because of my role in communications, it's it's don't be worried about asking people what support they need um you can never get it right for everybody but asking them ask the question in the first place don't assume um this is an incredibly unusual time for everybody and the other thing i would say is check in with colleagues you know again when someone says how are you and they said they're okay i'm okay actually ask another question because they may not be okay we're very good at closing down our feelings, I think, um, and to be really supportive at this time and to, dare I say, it helped to change culture in the workplace, actually taking time to talk about our things other than work and checking in with individuals is, is never been more important. And all of my work course since this, um, this situation um, happened, I talk more, I know more about my colleagues than I ever did before. Um, and we start every conversation off with a, a proper, how, how are you doing today? What's going on? And sometimes people really just need another person to talk to. And they may not have the courage to pick up the phone or to go on a Zoom call or whatever else it is. Um, and for me, that's, that's really important. And I hope we don't lose that, that kindness I mentioned earlier on. Um, it, you, if you're kind to, with your employees and your colleagues, it goes a long way to making people feel good about going to work and... I do feel that whatever, how, how employers react to this situation with, with mental health, because it's going to be, a, you know, it's not going away, um, will help to inform how they're viewed by their employees. And dare I say, it, maybe attract other talent in the future um, who want to go and work for that company because it's a great place to work because they look after their people. And I think, I think that's good. And you used the word culture and I saw you do that tem uh, tentatively. Yeah. Um, but, the research says that cultures are formed and changed from the bottom up. And yeah. it's actually people en masse changing their behavior that actually forms a culture, no matter how great the communication message is coming down from the top, which obviously can assist. Mm. So actually, if everyone took that learning of being a little bit more empathetic to, yeah. to everyone else and took it back into work and did it, then you would get culture change um, without... Yeah without a penny being spent by the organization. So that's just pricked up the ears of the CEOs. Um, <laughs> but no, Caroline, this is an amazing conversation. And, and uh, thank you very much for, for offering to do this one today. I think it's very relevant to where we are now. And I'm really hoping that when people are listening to this, this podcast in the future years and, and they're going, yes, that was the moment 
the, the, the mental health so. conversation changed. Um, the one thing I personally want to make sure it goes back into the workplace after this is the waving bit, that when you finish a video call, you have this habit of waving at people. Now. I do that all the time. Yeah. So when we go into, back into physical meetings, I want everyone to wave at each other when they leave the room. I think that'd be fantastic. But Caroline, thank you ever so much for today. Uh, I really did appreciate this conversation and I'm sure everyone listening did as well. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. No worries. And thanks to everyone listening in today. Uh, you can find out more on this topic and similar issues along with our podcast library at tapsolutions.com. But that's it for now. Thanks for listening and we'll be back soon.